0: Go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in, and be blessed.
1: Thank you this morning, Lord, that you are here. As always, your presence is what matters the most. So this morning, Jesus, we look to you. We take our eyes off of everything we've seen this past week. And Lord, we look to you. We look to you, Jesus. We thank you that in you, we have wholeness. In you, we have peace. In you, we have favor. In you, we have unearned, undeserved merited favor. So this morning, Lord, we just say thank you for all that you've done through the cross. Thank you for paying a price that you didn't have to pay for loving us because you loved us. And so this morning, Lord, we take our eyes off of everything we've seen this past week and everything that the enemy is trying to make us afraid of in the future. And we look to you, Lord. We look to you. And we thank you that in you, we have salvation. In you, we have victory. And we rest saying that the battle belongs to you. So we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. So, yeah, where do we start? How to turn the evil day. Are you ready? How to turn the evil day. Now, before we dive into it, keep in mind, uh, we are on. Let me say it this way. We are. I believe very firmly that we are in the last days. All right. Now, I say days very (laughs) <laughs> very openly, if I can say it that way, very freely in that sense. I don't believe we only have three more 24-hour days, but I believe we are in the days where we will see the Lord come back. Um, in fact, one of the prophecies that, that Paul gave to one, I can't remember if it was Timothy or I, they're all jumbled up now. But anyways, one of the things that Paul said was, in the last days, everything is going to continue to spiral out of control. Paraphrasing my version of it, right? Things are going to continue to get worse. We shouldn't hope that the world is going to turn for the better. Now the church will get better. I want to say that very carefully. I believe, I am a firm believer, the church will get better. In fact, one of the prophecies that God gives in Isaiah is this. Darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness covers the deep. Darkness is covering the earth. All right. The world will continue to get darker and darker and darker. But then in the next verse, he says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And then he says this. I will draw kings and princes to you. I will bring back all your children. He says this. I will draw kings and princes to you. Meaning, even though the world is getting darker, you are going to shine brighter. You know, in a room that's very well lit up, if I turn my flashlight on my phone, that flashlight's not going to do a lot. But as the world gets darker, that flashlight is going to shine brighter than it is going to seem to be shining brighter than it was before. So as the world continues to spiral out of control, just let the glory of the Lord bounce off you. Let it reflect off of you. And the beauty of something reflecting off of you is you don't have to figure out how to shine. You just get to shine. The glory of the Lord is shining on you this morning. And everyone said, Amen. so the world will get darker. And one thing that's been very mis, uh, uh, misinterpreted and very confused. And I thank God that in the last two to three years, I've, my eyes have been open through other ministers and and just through personal time with the Lord. But mainly through um, Well, I won't go there. But anyways, my eyes have been open that for a long time we confused the rapture with the second coming of Christ. And in first, Thessalon- I'm sorry, It's all blurring. First Thessalonians, I think it's first Thessalonians three, if I'm not mistaken. The apostle Paul says this. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Everyone else are children of darkness. You are a child of the light and it will take them by surprise. We all know that when Christ comes, it will be like a thief in the night. But verses right before that, he says this. We are all looking for the day when he comes, blows the trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. And we also will be snatched away in the Greek, snatched away. And it's not that he's coming, it's that he's calling all of us out. So even though there is trouble coming to the world, he will call all of us out first. We are not, in fact, a few verses later in that same chapter, he says this, for you were not appointed to wrath. You were not appointed to judgment. Noah was not appointed to judgment. And so much so that God saw fit not to let him endure with everyone else, but to put him in an ark enclose him, surround him and keep him from every drop of rain. Every drop of rain. Noah and his family didn't see rain once, or touch them. And likewise for us. The time will come when he will snatch all of us away, and then we'll begin the tribulation. And the world will endure. They will go through all the things they'll go through, but you and I will be with Christ. And then after that, he will come back for his people, the nation of Israel. And they will look at him and say, where did you get these scars? Where did you get these wounds? And I love that prophecy because he says this. In that day, he will tell them, I receive these in the house of my friends, the very ones who made themselves my enemies. I'm calling you my friends and we will all come back with him. And I love talking about it because you know what the Bible says? This this is the hope that purifies. The more we talk about him coming back, it's the hope that purifies where I might have wanted to do something I shouldn't have or my intentions might have been altered. This is the expectation that purifies. Jesus is coming back. But before he comes back, he'll snatch all of us away. So we are looking forward to that day. But as that day approaches, know this, the world is getting darker. The world is getting darker. And so anyways, are you ready for the word? None of that was my message. Let's look at this in Ephesians chapter six. (laughs) Ephesians chapter six. Now we're not going to be here very long. And if you know me, I love to look at context. I never like to take one verse, share one verse. I love to share multiple verses in uh, context. But this morning, we're not going to be here very long. In fact, this morning, we're going to talk about Esther. Okay? But before we get there, I want to set some uh, foundation. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Now, notice that last phrase. I didn't put that in gold. But it says this. And having done all to stand. Say stand. God wants you standing. Now, This is Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter one opens with you seated, sitting. Then from seating, I'm sorry, from sitting, from sitting, he goes into walking, how to walk. Before you can walk with Christ, you must first be seated. When you're seated, that's where you find out everything you have in him. Once you are affirmed in everything you have in him, then you can stand up and start walking. Then he ends that same book with spiritual warfare most churches go straight to spiritual warfare but before you can come to warfare you must know how to sit after you sit then you can know how to walk after you walk then we can talk about warfare now we've talked about warfare uh a lot in the last two years i think in the last year so to speak more than i would normally but you can go back and get that later all right right now notice what he says i want you to do everything to do what stand the goal is at the end of the attack god wants you standing The enemy wants you laying down flat, right? But the goal is for you to be standing. Jesus said the thief comes to do what? Three things, steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm gonna show you how all that plays out in the book of Esther in just a few moments. But everything that he's doing is to get you off of your feet. But everything the Lord is doing for you is to make sure that no matter what he throws at you, you will still be standing, amen? Do you know that when a hurricane blows through, not every hurricane, but when a hurricane goes through, all right, most of the time, houses and things are knocked out. I'm sorry, uh, cars and things. But the trees are one of the things that last the longest in a hurricane. You know why? Because the wind hits the tree, but it goes around it. Are you with me? Whatever the wind throws at you, whatever Satan throws at you, your enemy, whatever they throw at you, may your roots be deep and may you still be standing at the end. Amen. Amen. All right. So notice real quick i put this in gold to withstand in the evil day can you say evil day for me evil day. evil day now notice it's not necessarily 24 hours but evil day speaks of a short time period in fact i don't know if i put it up here did i yes in first peter 3 peter says quoting from psalm he says for he who would love life and see good days evil day good days all right you cannot escape the evil day because the evil day is the day he tries to attack you. In fact, I'm glad she said what she said earlier. You know, uh, it's not necessarily that you get to avoid the lion's den. It's that God will promise the lions won't touch you. He will close the mouth. All right. So, again, it's not saying that you'll never have an evil day. You will have evil day, a day of evil. All right. It may not be 24 hours, but it will be a small time. But don't worry. At the end, you'll still be standing. And God's promise for us is this. I want you to love life. And see good days. Days being what? May your good days swallow up every evil day. May you have so many good days that you forget the evil day that you experienced. So God wants you to enjoy good days. And I want you to enjoy good days. I want you to love life. Because I know too many people who go through life and they hate the majority of their day. (laughs) I know a lot of people who hate the majority of their days. But may you love life and see good days. Now, we're not going to go into how to do all that. Peter gives uh, the the secret and the key to that later on in the same context. But are you ready for the book of Esther? All right. Like I said, I will be mindful of the time. So let's pick up in Esther chapter one. If you have your Bible, Esther chapter one. Now, this is Esther chapter two. Don't worry. Esther chapter one. And the book of Esther is about 10 chapters. I would really say it's more like nine chapters. Chapter 10 has three verses. So that doesn't count for me. But anyways, the book of Esther has 10 chapters. Now, we're not going to read the whole book. You can read the book for yourself. I encourage you to read it for yourself, but we're going to go through the story of Esther this morning, and we're going to find out how to turn the evil day. Did you know that in the middle of the book, and we'll get there in just a few moments, but in the middle of Esther, there is the villain named Haman, all right? Now, we all, for the most part, I think most of us know the story, but there's a villain named Haman, and Haman decides he doesn't just want to kill Mordecai, who was the hero of the story, all right? He doesn't just want to kill him. He decides, I'm going to kill Mordecai's people. I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. I'm going to kill all Mordecai's people because I hate Mordecai so much. All right. So when they come together, he says, all right, let's kill him. He decides, let's cast the lot to find out what day he should be killed. So they cast the lot, which in the Hebrew is the word per. All right. Now, when you say lot as singular, it's per. But when you say lots, multiple lots, it's called perim, perim. Eem on the end makes it the plural, Purim, all right? Now, they celebrate the festival of Purim. The Jews still celebrate it to this day. It's not one of the holidays that God gave, but it's a holiday they celebrate because in the book of Esther, God saved them and turned their evil day into such a good day that the day the enemy thought this will be the day they are destroyed, all of a sudden people who were not Jews said, we're Jews too, all right? So we're going to show. I'm going to show you how God turned the evil day and how God is going to turn your evil day. Okay? But in the process, they cast the lot. Now, I'd never heard this before. This morning, I was just preparing and uh, I went to Starbucks this morning. I sat down for a few minutes, opened up to Proverbs, and all of a sudden, I heard this in, in, my, in my heart. I heard this uh, the, the lot is cast in the lap, but the Lord determines the outcome. Have you ever heard that? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, if I'm not mistaken. The last verse in 16 says this The lot is cast in the lap, but the Lord determines the outcome. Now, When Jesus ascended to heaven in the book of Acts, Judas had already killed himself. They had 11 disciples, and they knew we need one more. So what did the disciples come up with? Let's cast the lot and figure out which one of us should be the next disciple. Because there were many people that followed Jesus, but only 12 that were called specifically, right? So they cast the lot, and they came up with another man who would be one of the 12, okay? Now, again, the lot is cast by us. We throw the lot, but God determines the outcome. Now, you can apply the same thing to gambling. You put the coin in, you didn't win because God didn't give it to you. So stop putting the coin in, right? Because if it was God, he would have given it to you. And everyone said, right? So anyways, (laughs) excuse me. So anyways, the lot is cast. God determines the outcome. And So anyways, when I heard that this morning at Starbucks, I went straight to that part of the story. And I saw this this morning for the first time. So it's still fresh. Notice that when the lot was cast, and we'll get there, but when the lot was cast, it fell on the 13th day of the month Adar. The 13th day. When they cast the lot, the number 13 came up. 13. Now, we've shared this before. The world sees number 13 as an evil number. Uh, Christina and I, for our honeymoon, once we went to a a hotel, and when we got to the hotel, the hotel went up to like 20 floors. But there was no 13th floor. The world is so superstitious that they want 13 floors on. I don't even know if there is a 13th floor, but they would, they skip 13. Uh, Did it go out? No, it's still. Okay, good. Sorry. So the world is so superstitious, 13 is an evil number. They call it the unlucky number. I mean, has anyone else heard that? They call Friday the 13th because 13 is the unlucky number. It's an evil number. Now, when we talked about love about two years ago, the revelation of love comes in 1 Corinthians chapter what? Thirteen. You know why? Because God turns your evil day because he loves you. Because he loves you. In fact, it has nothing to do with you in such a way that right here in the book of Esther, what you're going to find is this. God's name is never mentioned one time in the entire book. Not one. And the reason why it's not mentioned one time in the book of Esther is because in Deuteronomy 28. I'm not losing anyone, am I? Okay. In Deuteronomy 28, God said this. If you do not obey my word, the curse, the curse that will come on you is a king from somewhere else, somewhere else will come and he will take you and take your sons and your daughters and you will serve him. And when you're serving him, you will, um, I won't be able to be a God to you. I'm paraphrasing. I won't be able to be a God to you anymore because the curse is on you. So in the book of Esther, they're in captivity and God has already said by his law, he cannot be a God to them by the law. So what does God do? By his grace, he takes his name out of the story so that he can maneuver his people and still be a God to them. Yes. Aren't you glad it has nothing to do with you? Nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God's heart for you, because God loves you. Even when you are in the wrong, he is behind the scenes maneuvering everything for your good. Everything works together for the good of those who love him and who are called. But who are they who love him? Those who have been first loved by him. For this is love, not that we love God, but that he loves us. Are you with me? Anyways, how did we get on that? Esther. (laughs) So the lot was cast. That's what we're talking about. So the lot was cast and God saw fit that the lot, when the lot is cast, God determines the outcome. God saw fit that it should fall on 13. And they all rejoiced and said, the 13th day of the month Adar, all the Jews will be killed. And God said, good. That's the day. Now, let me say this. When it comes to us on our reality, on our plane, we don't always see things from above as God does. We don't see things like an eagle does, like Jesus did in John. Jesus saw things before they came, so he was able to maneuver. But we don't always see things from above like he does. We see things on this plane as they come to us. So when they saw the 13th day coming, they could not see from above that God was actually moving pieces around. Are you with me? So let me say this, and I want to start the story of Esther this way. No matter what the enemy is throwing at you, God has already seen that problem. God has already seen that evil day that you are experiencing. God saw that problem long before you did. And your heavenly father loves you so much, he started maneuvering things around you. Do not let anything in front of you scare you. Don't let it scare you anymore. If it looks like I don't have enough and the day is coming up, don't let it scare you. Because your God will supply all your need. You stand on His word. We can't see from above like He can. We see things as they come. But I'm telling you, He is so excited. He was—I say this carefully. He was excited to see Daniel go in because He knew when Daniel came out of the lions' den, what would happen. If I'm Daniel, I'm—oh God, come on now! And I'm praying in tongues the whole way down the stairs. Right? I'm praying in tongues the whole way, out of fear. And the whole whole time, he's sitting there smiling going, but Matthew, when you come out the lion's den, what will happen? You don't know what's going to happen yet. And I tell you, they were all terrified in the book of Esther. But God, I believe, I believe this with all my heart. God was excited because he knew when the story of this, this story ends, there will be so many more converted, so many more, and it will make you wealthy. Oh, man. Where are we? That's when we had started. Esther chapter 1. So in Esther chapter 1, I don't have Esther chapter 1 up here because, again, for the sake of time, I'm going to try to go through the story. In Esther chapter 1, there's a king named Ahasirius. No, that's not how it's pronounced. But his name is Ahasirius, all right? So anyway, Ahasirius is actually not his name. It's actually his title. Like Pharaoh is a title. Ahasirius is a title, okay? So anyways, Ahasirius is the king. And he decides, I'm going to throw a big party last seven days. Now, while he's throwing the party that lasts days, everyone's drinking wine, they're enjoying each other a few days in, and then all of a sudden he starts talking to a friend, I'm just he starts talking to her, I have the most beautiful queen in the entire world and her name is Vashti so he says, where is Vashti? bring Vashti in front of everyone else (laughs) excuse me, so Vashti comes in front of everyone else, and right when no no Vashti sees what the king wants to do, he wants to parade me in front of everyone and show off my beauty, so she says no, now once this happens, all the king's men, his wise men and all his, uh, his advisors behind him say, who does she think she is that she can reject the order of the king? She should be replaced. Clearly, none of those men were married. So she should be replaced. So the king listens to their voice and he says, fine, what do you think we should do? Now, I want to I point out a few things as we move along, if that's all right. Notice the king in the story of God. Now, not completely in perfection. But he represents the story. Are you with me? What is that? Is that me? I hope that's better. All right. So the king represents God in the story. Now, as the king represents God, he wants to bring his beautiful queen and show everyone her beauty. But she says no. In a sense, it's like this. Jesus has made all of us beautiful. And he wants to pull you out of the darkness and show everyone how beautiful you are. But because she said no, it was time to find another queen. Are you with me? Never shy away from being confident in the Lord. When people look at you, and I think we have to keep saying this, because you know what? For so long, we were taught that it was pride. It was pride to be proud of what God's done for you. It's pride. It's pride. It's pride. But listen, it's not pride to say, I don't care what everyone else says. My God will fight for me. It's not pride to say, I don't care what everyone else is going through. I will not get sick. I don't care what everyone else is going through. This will not happen to me. It's not pride. That's confidence and not in yourself. That's confidence in him. The greatest show and act of humility came from a young boy named David who ran, onto the, ran into the battlefield to face a giant. And when everyone else's knees were shaking, the greatest act of humility was for him to stand up and say, I will take your head off your shoulders and I will feed it, your body to the birds of the air. That sounds like pride to me, right? Self-confidence, but it wasn't. His confidence was in Christ. Are you with me? So anyways, she says, no, she rejects the king's order. So the king decides, time to find a new queen. So we come to chapter two. In chapter two, they come up with a plan. It says, then the king's servants who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins in Shushan the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young woman who the king be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. So we come to verse five. In Shushan the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, let's hold on for a moment. God is going to turn your evil day, but we have to build the story because we have to find out how he's going to do it, what he's going to do, it, and why he's doing it. Are you with me? All right, so the king says, let's get rid of the queen. Listening to his advisors. They say, let's go, buy, let's go find all the young beautiful virgins, bring them in, make them beautiful, and let's put them under the custody of the eunuch named Haggai. Now, I want to make sure everyone knows what a eunuch is, correct? We don't need the biology lesson. Everyone knows what a eunuch is, correct? If you don't know what a eunuch is, a eunuch is safe around women. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) Google. (laughs) A eunuch is safe around women. So they said, let's put all the virgins under the custody of Hagar the eunuch. And he will be in charge of all the the virgins. (laughs) Now, this is where, now we haven't seen Esther's name yet. But don't worry. Now, her real name is Hadassah, which means myrtle. Right? But the name she's given in captivity is Esther, which means star. And Esther is a type and shadow of all of us, the church. Are you with me? So anyways, what happens is this. she has an uncle named Mordecai and Mordecai is a Jew. Now, Mordecai in the story is the hero. In fact, and the reason why and I'm not going to show you this later, but I'll tell you now. Mordecai, in the end, when he walks out in victory, the Bible says he was wearing blue and fine linen. Very interesting colors there. Blue, fine linen, and with a crown on his head. Why blue and fine linen? Did you know that the priests, the two major colors that they wear were blue and fine linen? Interesting. And he's wearing a crown on his head. Why a crown? It speaks of kings and priests, which never existed until, I'm sorry, until... Um, who is the priest that came? Melchizedek. He came as a king and as a priest. Jesus himself is under the order of Melchizedek as a king and priest. All of us are kings and priests. In the Old Testament, there was no such thing as a king and priest. And yet Mordecai comes out in blue and white like a priest with a crown on his head as a king. Mordecai is the hero of the story. Are you with me? Now, knowing all of this, what happens? The Bible says that he was a Benjamite. Benjamite. A Benjamite. Now, why is a Benjamite so important? I'll put that in gold because, you know what, let's take a moment real quick. Let's talk about Benjamites. Did you know that the apostle Paul was also a Benjamite? Of all the tribes, Benjamin was the smallest. Are you with you? Smallest tribe. So the tribe of Benjamin, Paul was a Benjamite. And Paul is the apostle of grace. Paul taught grace more than everybody else. Paul was a proclaimer of the grace of God, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a proclaimer of grace, and he was a Benjamite. And all of us, as we proclaim the grace of God, are like Paul. We are like him in a sense of we are also Benjamites. Do you know that Benjamin means son of my right hand? Son of my right hand. Are you with me? All of us are at the right hand of God. You know that the entire tribe of Benjamin was made up of left-handed warriors. Left-handed warriors. Now, why is that important? The hand of strength is always depicted as the right hand. The right hand. Throughout the Old Testament, God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will lead you with my right hand. Now, why is God so bent on the right hand? Because the right hand speaks of God's strength. I'm upholding you with my own strength. But the tribe of Benjamin, they were left-handed warriors. Their strength was not in their right hand, but in their left hand, which speaks of weakness. What does that mean? In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Are you with me? So in the same way, grace makes what? God's strength manifest. That's why you don't go out of this place in your own strength. You go out of this place in your weakness. And every time you do that in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. Are you with me? We are like Benjamites in that sense. Did you know that the old priesthood ended at the declaration of a Benjamite? The old priesthood, the last priest that we see in the Old Testament was a priest named Eli. Now, he was not the end of priests. They tried to continue the priesthood. But God himself ended the priesthood with a man named Eli, who was a priest. And the Bible says he didn't teach his sons the way they were supposed to. And because they didn't, he didn't teach his sons, and they didn't teach the people they were, the way they were supposed to, when they were attacked by the Philistines, they lost the first fight. And they said, let's go find the Ark of the Covenant, and let's take it into battle with us. They turned God into a button. They turned this into a button. Let's push this button and we will always win. Let's push this button and we'll always get this result. Let's do this and we will always see what we need, right? So they said, let's take it into the battle with us. But the moment they lost relationship and traded it for a formula, all of a sudden they lost the Ark of the Covenant. And the only one who made it back from the battle line ran all the way to the priest, Eli. And guess what he was? A Benjamite proclaiming that the ark had been captured by God's enemies. Are you with me? Now, what do we see? The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. Wood, humanity, overlaid with gold, speaks of righteousness and divinity. The ark has been captured. What was he saying? Like Paul, Christ was captured by the enemy. But where the enemy thought they won, the enemy actually lost (laughs) Paul has said himself in 1 Corinthians, had they known what they were doing, had Satan known what he was doing by crucifying Christ, he never would have done it. So we are all proclaiming Christ had been captured. Christ was captured, but it was to their own demise. They thought they won, but it was God fooling them the whole time. Are you with me? And it was a Benjamite who came to Eli and said, the ark was captured. And Eli, oh my God, and he fell off and he died right there, ending the priesthood as far as God was concerned. But when the ark was captured by the Philistines, they took it into their God and took it to their to their temple. The, the, their fish got Dagon. Half man, half fish. Right. <laughs> and the next morning when they came back, Dagon was on his face before the ark. And they said, well, let's help our God back up. So they put Dagon back in his place. And then the next morning when they came back, Dagon's hands were cut off and his head was severed from his shoulders. Now, what do we see? When Jesus was captured in the garden, they all fell on their face because they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, what? I am. And they all fell out under the power of God. And Jesus didn't run. He waited. (laughs) That's why Jesus was not murdered. He laid his life down for all of us. Are you with me? And we have a beautiful picture. When they came to arrest him, they themselves were first arrested. Hallelujah. They fell out under the power of God. So he waited. And when they stood up, they said, oh, oh, get him. So they grabbed Jesus and they took him. And then when Jesus died at the cross, what happened? Satan lost his arm. He lost his head. What was his arm? In Colossians, Paul says this in Colossians. Satan has been disarmed. Principalities and powers, they have been disarmed. Disarmed. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, when God took the handwritten code that was against us, that was opposed to us, when God took the Ten Commandments, God nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there at the cross, Satan was disarmed and he lost his head. Are you with me? The weapon he was trying to use against God's people has been disarmed. And now he can't use it anymore against us. So now since he can't use it against us, he tries to talk to us. Are you with me? but he uses his words, he uses his words, so anyways, we can follow the, uh, some, some other pieces of the arc, I won't do it for the sake of time, but suffice to say this, Mordecai was a Benjamite, you know what's so interesting about Benjamites, no, I'm, I'm just going to do it too. <laughs> whoa, that was uh, long, so anyways, chapter two, so Mordecai was Benjamin, so keep in mind again, he is the hero of the story. We're probably going to move this a little bit faster than I wanted to. We'll probably skip some details. But for the sake of time, I want to make sure we get to the end. Okay? Now in chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Now when the turn came for Esther, the, of the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Now real quick. The king says, let's do it. So all the women are brought in, and Esther is brought in as well. But Uncle Mordecai says, don't tell anyone that you're a Jew. <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't tell anyone that you are a Jew. So she goes in. And when all the women are brought in, guess who finds favor with Haggai, the custodian? Esther. Interesting word, that word favor. She finds favor in Haggai's eyes. So when the time comes, all the women, they all get to, uh, they all get to... Uh, I'm sorry, my mind went blank. They all get to put on whatever they want and go stand before the king. But when it comes time for Esther to go stand before the king, because she's found favor with Haggai, Haggai gives her advice. So all the women, let's, one woman comes and says, I, I think I look better with all the fur. So she wraps herself from head to toe in fur. And she, can't, well, she bounces into the king and the king says, is there a woman under that? All right, so the next woman comes in and says, I look better with with, with gold only on one side of my face and no gold. So my beauty. So she comes and stands before the king, and the king says, Why does she look so funny? But when it comes time for Esther, she says, I only want to hear what Haggai has to tell me. Now, it's a smart woman because Haggai has been with the king all these years. I think he knows what the king likes. Now, Haggai's name is interesting because Haggai in the Hebrew is actually Haggai. Can you say Haggai? Haggah in the Hebrew literally means meditation, to mutter or to meditate. I only want to stand before the king with what meditation tells me. Are you with me? I, <coughs> excuse me. You can always tell when someone has not meditated on God's word, when they're getting it for the first time. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Spend time meditating on God's word. Then come stand before us. Amen. So I only want what meditation gives me. And when she goes in before the king, guess what happens? She wins. See, we all thought Cinderella was original. It wasn't. All right? It wasn't. It's just the world trying to find beauty in God's word. But the story was rooted here first. Are you with me? So what happens? She wins the king's favor. Now, let's fast forward. In chapter 3, what happens? Once she wins the king's favor, Mordecai is now sitting at the gate And as he's sitting at the gate, all of a sudden the villain, Haman, he gets, I'm sorry, before Haman, I'm sorry, let's back up. She wins the beauty contest. After she wins the beauty contest, Haman is sitting at the gate. Not Haman, I'm sorry, Mordecai is sitting at the gate. While he's sitting at the gate, he overhears two of the soldiers say, let's kill the king. So he hears about the plot, he finds out everything he needs to, and he goes and tells Esther, who is now the new queen. Esther goes and tells the king and the king brings the two men, deals with them, deals with the whole issue and says, record this story in the book of Chronicles and everything that happens as far as I'm king. So they record the story. But with the next verse, watch this in the very next verse, chapter three, verse one, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hammedatha the Agagite, the Agagite, <laughs> who are the enemies of God's people. He promoted the wrong person and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him, including Mordecai. Verse two, and all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Now watch this. I'm so, I, I'm, every testimony I've shared this morning was so uniquely. It was time for Mordecai to be promoted and the wrong person got promoted. Now let me say this, again, while I was preparing all of this, the Lord impressed on me to tell you this. If you missed a promotion, missed, I'm gonna use that in quotes. If you, quote unquote, missed a promotion, God saw it. And it's not that you missed the promotion. God is waiting to promote you at a later time so that the promotion will be better. Are you with me? And I say that by the unction of the Holy Spirit. God, you didn't miss the promotion. The Lord saw what happened and he's waiting to promote you at the right time. So the promotion will be greater. Are you with me? So Mordecai is like, what in the world? Haman got promoted instead of me. And not just that. The king says everyone bows to Haman. But when Haman walks by, Mordecai says, I don't bow to anyone except God. I can't bow to him. So when Haman sees that Mordecai is not bowing, he gets angry. Then he comes up with this plan. Verse six, it says, but Haman disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Ahasiris, they cast per, which I said earlier, right? That is the lot before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Now watch this. Haman gets so mad. He's like, no, that's it. I'm killing Mordecai. I'm killing all his people. Now the king has promoted me (coughs) and he still won't bow to me. All of them are dead. So they come together in secret. They cast a lot. And it falls on day number 13 of the month Adar. Right? Then he goes to the king and says it like this. He doesn't say the way he should have. He says it like this. There's people in here, king, who don't worship you, who don't serve you as they should. Their laws are different and they are against us. They should be annihilated. The king says, you're absolutely right. So what do they do? Verse 9, if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they, should be, that they be destroyed. And I will pay, not the king. I, Haman, will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now watch this. In today's economy, he paid millions of dollars to see all of them killed. He was so hell-bent on killing Mordecai and all the Jews. He said, you know what? Don't even worry about paying it. I'll pay it out of my own pocket. Just let me do it. Write the decree. That is evil. That is evil. But what does he say? I need you to write a decree. What was the first decree that was written? The first decree that was written on tablets of stone by God's own finger himself. The decree that was written that was against us, that was opposed to us. What was it? The law. The law. It was his weapon against all of us. Now watch this. The king agrees to it. It says, then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month. And a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all the people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. What does that mean? As long as the king's signet ring seals it, it's done. It can never be reversed. You can never speak against it. You know what Jesus said? I have not come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. Are you with me? Jesus did not reverse the law. He came to fulfill the law. None of us escaped the judgment of the law. None of us escaped the punishment that comes from the law. None of us. It fell on us in him. Grace does not say, throw the law out the window. No, 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 not at all. Grace says the law has been fulfilled in Christ. The judgment has fell on us, but it fell on us in him everyone said verse 13 and the letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy to kill and to annihilate all the jews both young and old little children and women in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month which is the month of adar and to plunder their possessions real quick john chapter 10 and i said this earlier jesus said the thief has come to steal and what do we see to destroy to kill and the last one to plunder their possessions Do you see the pictures? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, as this is being recorded, is giving us signs. This is what the enemy is trying to do to you. This is what the enemy is trying to do, but I'm going to turn it for you. Verse 14, a copy of the document was to be issued as law. I love that. I put that in gold because I just think that's an awesome statement. It was issued as law. Make no mistake about it. Satan is trying to use the law to kill, steal, and destroy you. And now that we know that we are not under the law, what is he doing? He still brings the demands. He still brings all the pressures of life. He still brings all the weight of the responsibility. If you don't, what will happen? God hasn't done this yet, so you need to get up and do it. He keeps putting demands on all of us, and the goal is not to help us. The goal is not for me to become better and more motivated and more inspired. The goal is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Because if I try to put out every single fire that's around me, it takes away time from my family. If I try to put out every fire that's away for, or that's around me, it takes away time from the whole from from with the Lord. I don't have time for the Lord because I'm busy putting out this fire, that fire, this fire. But if I stop putting out fires because I'm not a fireman and I trust the Holy Spirit, all right? I trust the Holy Spirit to handle this. I trust the Holy Spirit to fight every battle for me. If I can learn to trust Him. I'll have time for the Lord. I'll have time for my family. I'll have time to do what the Lord has actually called me to do. Because the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. Now I'm going to fast forward through this again. We are desperately running out of time. (laughs) Go back and read the rest of the story for yourself. What happens from here? I want to kill all the Jews. Not me. Haman. Haman says, I want to kill all the Jews. Right. (laughs) So he comes up with a plan. Once the plan, once the decree is sent out, Mordecai, the hero of the story, finds out. He sends word to Esther and Esther says this. I can't go before the king because he hasn't called me. If I step into the king's presence, he hasn't called me. I'll die. All right. Mordecai sends word back to her and says this. If you don't do it, help for the Jews will arise from somewhere else. But how do you not know that you were not called for such a time as this? All right. That's where that amazing statement comes from. I think it's in chapter four. How do you know you were not brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, I love this phrase. Let me show you this. He says, verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now, let me say this. You have a gift inside of you, and I am am very adamant about saying this. God wants to use you. He does not want to use anyone else. There are some things that are unique and exclusive for you, but there are also other things that God is saying, I want to use you. I want to use you. But if you are determined to not let me use you, I will find someone else. Are you with me? Now, it's not your call and your, 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 your gifting and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there are some things that God is saying, I want to use you. But if you will not speak up, if you will not move on this, then I will have to find somewhere else. But know this, help will arise. Help will come. And notice he doesn't say help will come from the Lord because God is very adamant. His name cannot appear in the story because they're under judgment. Now, let's fast forward. What happens? She says, Mordecai, tell all the people to fast for three days. After two days of fasting, on the third day, she goes and stands before the king. Why after two days? Do you know after three days, Jesus turned water to wine? How many years has Jesus been gone? 2,000 years, right? We are in the third day. Jesus turned water to wine on the third day. She stood before the king on the third. Third day. There's an Old Testament prophecy that says in two days you will restore us. On the third day, you will raise us up. Church, we are in the third day. Do you understand? We are in the third day. I believe that we are about to stand before the king in the third day. Jesus was resurrected on the third day. third day. The third time he appeared to his disciples, he manifested himself. He stood on the shore while they were all fishing. And then he stayed long enough for them to sit with him, eat with him and talk with them on the third day appearance. Third day. So anyways, all that said, what happens? She goes, she stands before the king and the king hasn't called her. But when he sees her, his heart is moved for her. Our heavenly father's heart is moved for you. So he holds out his golden scepter. In Hebrews, the author says this, your scepter, O Lord, is a scepter of righteousness. She comes and she touches his scepter. What does it mean? The only way we can stand in God's presence is by his righteousness, not our own. So she touches his righteousness and he says, Esther, what can I do for you? Up to half the kingdom belongs to you. Jesus said, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what can I give you? She says, I want you to come to a party. Just like a woman. (laughs) Come to a party. What do you want? I want you to come to a party. That's not what you want. What do you really want? So she says, come to the party and I want you and Haman to come as well. Haman gets excited. She wants me to come to a party with the king and the queen. So they go to the party. When they come to the party, she says, he says, Esther, now that we're at the party, tell me what you want. Up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. She says, come to another party. Just like a woman. (laughs) I'm playing. You know, I love you, ladies. You know, I love you. Come to another party tomorrow morning. Okay, so we'll come to the next party tomorrow. That night, Haman is so excited. Yes, but on his way out of the palace, Mordecai still won't bow. Now he's angry. So he goes home and tells his wife that Mordecai he still won't bow to me let me tell you the queen invited me to a party the king we were all there it was all great but none of this means anything to me because Mordecai still is alive and finally she says well why don't you propose to the king tomorrow morning that he should hang on the gallows tomorrow let's skip the 13th let's get it done now great idea so he goes to sleep what happens that night That night, I'm telling you, when you fight your battles, you can only fight what you can see. But when you let the Lord fight your battles, God will fight for you before you get to work. God will fight for you before you get to the house. God will fight for you before you get there. That night, on the eve of Mordecai's death, the king tries to go to sleep. But the Bible says God gives to his beloved sleep. God withheld his sleep for a reason. You know why? Because that night when he couldn't sleep, he got up and said, someone read to me the chronicles of my kingdom, what I've done. As they're reading the story, the next morning rolls in, they're still reading. And as they're reading, he they comes to the part where Mordecai saved the king's life, right? So as they're reading that part, he gets excited and says, wow, what have I done for Mordecai? And guess who strolls in the front door? Haman. And Haman says, oh, king. And the king says, wait, Haman, let me ask you, what should be done for the one who the king delights in? Haman, most of us know the story. Haman says, he's talking about me. Clearly, he's talking about me. You should give him the king's robes, and you should put him on the king's horse with the king's crest. Then you should find someone who you really like, and you should have them lead him on the horse, yelling, Such shall be done to the one to whom the king delights. And you should parade him around the whole city in front of everyone. And the king says, That sounds like a great idea. Go do that for Mordecai, and you lead the horse. (laughs) Imagine his face. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is this. He was supposed to be dead. (laughs) Now he's on the king's horse being paraded around the city by his enemy. Mm -hmm. By his enemy. Now, watch this. You want to know what Haman's response was? Oh, man, I had to put this up here. You have to see this. Hold on. It's in verse chapter 6. The king's eunuchs came. afterward. Mordecai went back to the king's gate, Haman hurried to his house. Look at this. (laughs) Chapter 6. When they finished being... Brought around the city, yelling out, "This is the one whom the king delights." It says afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. He cried. <laughs> the grown man was crying. I hate this man so much. He's crying about it. So he goes home and he tells his wife what happened. And all of a sudden, his wife gets some common sense. Their friends get some common sense, and they say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! He's whoa. Mordecai is a Jew." He says, yes. And they say, (laughs) well, no. Verse 13. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all her friends everything that happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. What a loving wife. (laughs) Tell me the truth, sweetheart. You're going to fall instead of him. While they were still talking with him. The king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Now watch this. She tried to warn him, but it was too late. I'm telling you by the grace of God, some of you have seen someone raise their hand against you. Do not fight. Whatever evil day you are in, don't fight. Don't fight. Do not fight. Because you know what? By the time Haman realized, maybe I shouldn't do this, it was too late. There are some people they've crossed the line. I'm telling you, your heavenly father says, enough is enough. You might be going through an evil day, but I am turning the evil day for you. And there's no saving them. There it's too late. Are you with me? While they're still warning him, the king's eunuchs come to get him. So they go to the party, and while they're at the party, in the next chapter, while they're at the party, all of a sudden the king says, Esther, what can I do for you? Up to half the kingdom belongs to you now. I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you want? And she says, I'm asking for the life of me and my people because someone has raised their hand and they want to kill all of us. And the king says, who would be so stupid to do such a thing to the king's wife? And she says, none other than the one Haman who's sitting here. What? <laughs> now Haman is, whoa, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just got it this morning. I'm sorry, last night from Mordecai, yesterday. Now the queen. And it's, whoa, whoa wait a second. And the, the king gets so angry, he jumps up and he walks out. While he's walking out, Haman jumps up and says, Esther, please, please, please. And he starts begging for his life. Then he falls on her feet. Now, watch this. Let me go ahead and show you this. We say it all the time. <coughs> then the king arose from his wrath, uh, from the banquet of wine, and went to the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life. For he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of banquet of, banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. What did the king see? He's assaulting my wife. But what was Esther doing? She was reclining. She was resting. That's why in a church where you talk about rest, you talk about rest, (coughs) excuse me, you talk about rest. What we're saying is position yourself for victory. Posture yourself to win. They're trying to kill me. So go lay down. I I seem like I can't break through this wall. Go lay down. Lord, I need more of this in my life. Go lay down. Because victory does not come from begging the king for victory. It comes from sitting down and telling him what your problems are. Are you with me? If I keep trying to fight, if I keep trying to break through this wall, I'll never get it done. I can get more done if I'll just sit down and let the king handle it. I'm going to quote from Ruth. He will not rest until the matter is resolved. He will not rest until the matter is resolved. Are you with me? Now, we'll end it with this. We'll go ahead and close the story, all right? What happens? Then the king said, will he also assault the queen while I am in their house? (coughs) Excuse me. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now, Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, look, the gallows 50 cubits high with Haman, which Haman made for Mordecai. (laughs) excuse me, who spoke good on the king's behalf is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. How only God can cause your enemy to kill themselves. Only God can cause your enemy's weapon to turn on them. Only God. Now we come to chapter eight. In chapter eight, what do we do? They come to the king and say, oh, king, the decree has been issued. Reverse the decree, but he says, I can't reverse it. Instead, this is what I want you to do. Verse eight, you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Now, one more time, whatever is sealed with the king's uh, signet ring, whatever is decreed in his name, no one can revoke. Whatever God has said to you, listen, it has been decreed to you. No one can revoke it. But what did he do? I'm not going to write it. You write it. What does that mean? Start speaking. Start decreeing things over your own life. Start using your words. Oh, Lord, (laughs) I can't handle this. So I decree in the name of Jesus, in the king's name, and I seal it in the name of Jesus. It's been decreed. I'm telling you, no one can revoke it. Whatever you decree, that's what will happen. Start using your words more. Start speaking more. Start decreeing more. You will decree a thing and it will be given to you. I'm telling you, whatever is sealed in his name with his ring. You know what the father did for the son when he came home? The prodigal son? He put his robe on him. He put his ring on him. Why? You've been a horrible son to me. But now that you're back home, And you haven't shown any change in attitude, character or personality. I'm going to give you my ring back now. Shouldn't he have waited to give him his ring? No, because I love you so much. I'm going to give you the power to decree something and no one can revoke it. God has given you the ability to the ability to decree something and no one can revoke it. I'm telling you, as I was reminded about this even last night, I w- I felt sick last Sunday evening. It was about 4:30. I went home, passed out, didn't wake up until Monday, 4 o'clock. I mean, it was bad, cold sweat. I think I had a fever. Um, I mean, it was bad, and I don't know where it came from or how it came in. I got over it, but again, as I was preparing for this, I stood up and I said it might be too late because that happened back then. But in the name of Jesus, I decree that I will not suffer with this again. In the name of Jesus, I decree, I decree no weapon formed against me or my family shall prosper. I decree in the name of Jesus that we will never see this sickness. We will never see this disease ever come back in our house in the name of Jesus. And I started decreeing. I started decreeing. Why not? Because I have the ring of the king and I have his name. We can decree something and it can never be undone. And Satan hates it. (laughs) Your enemy hates it. But just keep decreeing. Now watch this. Let me me close with this. What did they do? How do you turn the evil day? How do you do it? Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed, that they should be killed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 2. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because the fear of the Lord fell upon all people. What did they do first? They came together. They came together. They came together. What are we doing this morning? We're coming together. If you're in an evil day, don't stay away from the house of God. Come back to the house of God. Spend more time in the house of God. How do you do that? We're only open once a week, right? (coughs) go get the podcast <laughs> go check out the blog i hate to be the one pushing the commercial every sunday but i'm telling you if you're in an evil day thank you if you're in an evil day whatever the evil day looks like spend time together even if you can't come to church call someone let's hang out let's spend some time together and everyone said Amen. then the next verse says in verse wait so we're in chapter 9 next verse verse 3 and all the officials of the province of the provinces the satraps the governors And all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Verse 4, for Mordecai was great in the king's palace and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Let me say this. Even though Mordecai was famous, they still sought to kill the Jews. They still sought to do it. Who is Mordecai to us today? Jesus. He's Jesus. And I'm telling you, your enemy already knows who our king is. Your enemy already knows who your heavenly Mordecai is. And yet they're still trying. But if they insist on trying, and I'm not talking about people, our true enemy is not people. We fight not against flesh and blood. But if your enemy insists on continuing to fight you, what will happen? God will cause you to overpower them. But how do you do it? Come together. Come together. And let me close with this. Verse 4, for Mordecai was great, we just read that. Verse 5, thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of a... With slaughter and destruction and did what they pleased with those who hated him. What does that mean? When you come to the house of God, you get the sword of the spirit, which is the. It's not that this, this is not the word for the word of God. This is not the logos. The logos is the spoken, uttered word of God. Are you with me? When you come to the house of God and you hear the battle is the the whole sermon, whatever the sermon is, and all of a sudden you get that one thing that you need, now you have a sword in your hand. But where do you get the sword? When we all come together. That's why we spend time in the house of God. And you say, well, right now, Matthew, I'm not in an evil day. It's fine. If you would say, I'm not in an evil day right now, hey, take a sword anyways. (laughs) Take a sword anyways. So you're prepared. Take a sword anyways. But let me say this. If you're not in an evil day right now, let me say this. Let me show you this and we'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and much and so much more as you see the day approaching. For years, I I believe this word day was the day Jesus comes back. But I found out in the Greek, the word day is not capitalized, meaning it's not talking about the day Jesus comes back. When he wrote this, the Romans were surrounding Jerusalem. They were on their way. They were surrounding and they didn't know what was coming. And Paul said, I'm telling you right now, this is my last attempt. Don't forsake the assembling of the brethren as you see the day that the enemy is coming to you approaching closely. Don't forsake the day. Don't forsake assembling together. You know why? Because let me say this. There is a day coming where the enemy will attack you. If you're not being under attack right now, he will attack you at some point. And I'm telling you, as that day comes closer and closer, stay together. Stay together. I want to encourage you, if you can, come out and have coffee with us. If you can, come out to Bible study. If you can, I mean, come on, be be present in the house of God. There are some who forsake coming together. There are some, even in Paul's day, Paul was going through the same thing. There's so many people who don't come to the house. And Paul is saying, look, don't do it. Come back together because the day is approaching. And when you are together, you will receive a sword. And whatever the sword is, I'm telling you, whatever you need. And it's so funny. I'll, I'll say this in all It's so funny because one time I preached a message. It was like 56 minutes long. It was a long one. Long-winded Sunday. Probably like today. Anyways, priest, a long, and at the end of the sermon, I mean, I had one point. I was like, I was going to get, and someone come up to me and goes, I can't believe you said this. And I thought, I didn't say that. I may have said that in five seconds. And that whole sermon, and you heard a five-second statement. You know, and you almost wanted to get frustrated because you're like, an hour message? You heard something I said in five seconds? <laughs> That's what did it? And then I have to submit to the Lord. I have to submit because I don't know what sword you need by the grace of God. I don't know what sword you need. But when we come together, even if it's not me preaching, when we come together, even when it's communion, we get the sword. And now we are prepared. And you know what? May everyone who attacks you and may every spirit that comes against you, may you overpower them and be found standing in that day. And the ones who came to plunder the Jews, in turn, they were plundered. And the Jews became wealthy. And everyone said. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word and for your truth. And Father, we just thank you that every attack that's, a, that's coming against us, every, every assault of the enemy against us, Father, this morning, we thank you that you have seen it. You've already prepared for it. And Father, this morning, we submit to you. We say that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And Father, I declare by the in the name of Jesus, I declare that every attack against them, every attack against us, that you are a God to us, that you are working behind the scenes for us. Father, that you have already set us up to have good days instead of an evil day. The day that we thought would come and destroy us, the day that we thought would come and begin to make things uh, slip through our fingers, instead, Father, you are only building us up. You are only making us greater. And so, Father, this morning, I thank you again, Lord. I thank you that your heart for us is so great. Your heart for us is so great. That your hand is moving for all of us this morning. And Father, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centerscharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.